So life is distracting, and the Bible says, be still and know that I am God. We've been talking, uh, or we are talking in these weeks about worship, this experience that we have Sunday mornings when we gather together as we are right now. And, and last week, I, I really introduced this idea to you that this can be a time when we encounter God. Um, I hope, even as I say that now, you go like, what? <laughs> we get to encounter God in a unique way every Sunday morning? That's the deal. That's the intention. That's the plan, at least from God's point of view. I want to tell you, this can be the most wonderful, fantastic um, beautiful, challenging, exciting moment in your week. Because here, you get to experience the reality of the living God. And I challenged you last week to make this time such an experience. That you come into his presence and you know him. That you encounter him here. That you be changed by him here. That you leave here having met God, inspired to live for him in all you do. Now, we've had a drama, and I want to ask you this question. Of these two characters, and I'm going to put one here on your left and one on your right, Greg and Sam, I believe, and I want to say, which one of these two characters most represents your experience of worship on a Sunday morning? Good guys, good hearts, both believers, they've come to know Christ, they, Christ is important to them, they want to live for him. We're hoping for Greg anyway. It seems that way. He's here. But he's a distracted man. He's got in-laws to worry about, car washing, groceries. He's got work to do this afternoon. He's getting called in. He's got his phone to check. Right? His, his mind's going in a thousand different ways. That coffee took him to the bathroom. We all get that. But somehow he missed something. Well, then there's Sam, who I think walked into the reality a little more, more profoundly. I would suggest to you he encountered God in the songs as he was praising God. He heard the sermon. It wasn't just that guy at the front talking again, and I got to you know, somehow survive it for the next 35 minutes. And he took down the scriptures from the screen so that he could reflect on them all week long. God had spoken into his life. He had encountered God, right? Here's the question that I have that flows out of the drama. When, we're, when, we, when we sort of experience worship like a Greg, what do we miss? What do you miss? The answer? You miss God. And it is entirely possible that you could come to this place this morning where we have set up an entire hour and a quarter for you in order for you to encounter the living God, and you don't. Now, I would suggest that not be the case in your life. I would suggest that you work hard against that dynamic. I would suggest that you do everything in your power to make this an experience of God. So much so that when you go from this place, you have praised him and you have worshipped him. You have given to him on our new app. I, I think it's kind of cool too, to tell you the truth. Um, and, and, and that you have heard him speak into your life. God 
communicating with you? People would say, like, Chris, you must be out of your mind. I'm not out of my mind. This is the intention. This is the plan. This is what happens when people worship God. And they are changed and blessed and enabled to live for the Lord in the way that they want to. Well, you know, we have that choice before us. And I want to go back to this text that we jumped into last Last Sunday morning, Exodus 4. I'm going to read it to you again. The Israelite people suffering in slavery. Pharaoh is a brutal dictator, and he is using them for his own economic uh, ends, to his own economic ends. Moses and Aaron are sent by God to the elders of Israel, and, and Aaron, the spokesperson for Moses, because he says, I can't speak very well, and God provides him. Aaron says, God has heard your cries, and he is here to save you and to rescue you. And, and, and then they, sh they um, show them the power of God through these miraculous signs. This is last week's sermon. Go on your phone and listen to it if you want. Chris Little's sermons, by the way. <laughs> yeah, he's good too. I know, I know. <laughs> um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, they had encountered God last week. This is the sermon. This is the motivation. This is the dynamic. This is what these people encountered of God, the power of the word of God, the power of the supernatural, supernatural action of God in their lives. And then they, the clincher, they came to realize that God cared for them. They knew that God loved them, and it touched them deeply. And then it says they bowed down and worship. Let me read the passage for you. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites, and Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people, and they believed. What a critical statement, huh? They heard from God, and they believed in the things of God. And when they heard that the Lord was uh, concerned about them and had seen their misery, that's the love. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Here's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at that last little phrase. Having talked last week about what worship is, I want to talk about uh, or, or, or what the encounter was that led them to worship. I want to talk about what worship is today. What does it mean to bow down and worship? How do we do that? I mean, literally, what, what are we called to? What is it that God is, is, is wanting for us as we gather here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday? Well, two obvious points. The first one is bowing down. Uh, the message version of the Bible says they bowed low and they worshiped. Uh, I, I mean, there was something going on that caused them to do this. What did it mean for them? Well, essentially, they bowed low to humble themselves in the presence of the greatness of God. Start drawing parallels between your own experience and these people's experience. These people get it right. We're going to read a passage later on where the people of God get it wrong, but here they get it right, right? And they, they came into this into the presence of this incredible God, and they were awed by God. They were amazed by God. They were blown away that God had heard their cry and that God had sent his servants and that God was going to save them and that God loved them. And they took this position of, of humility before God, and they recognized the greatness of God's majesty and of his power and of his love. They, they said, even by their physical uh, body language. God, we worship you. This was a statement to God who he was, and it was a statement to God who they were before him. They humbled themselves in his presence. You know, um, it's like saying, you're great, but I'm small. You get that? You bow in someone's presence. You are the, you are the greater one. I am not. You are powerful, 
I'm weak. You are majestic, lofty in dignity and honor. I'm just a humble person who, truth be told, shouldn't even stand in your presence. At least not upright. Except for the fact that you have told us, even by your action through Moses and Aaron, that you have noticed us and you care about us and you love us. When they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, then they bowed down and worshiped. Such a pivotal moment for these people when they recognize the heart of God for them and that God had done something for them. This is what happens when people understand the God in whose presence they find themselves. They bow down. Um, can I ask you when you walk into the presence of God, at any point during this hour and a quarter, unless the preacher gets long-winded, do you ever find yourselves humbling yourself in God's presence? Like truly? And recognizing the greatness of God, his power, his majesty, his love? Or are you more concerned about the emails you need to respond to and running the envelopes to the car because you won't remember them if you don't? Etc., etc. The other element I, I would suggest to you about bowing is not only that we humble ourselves in the presence of greatness, but we come to that point in life where we recognize because of the greatness of God that we are called to yield ourselves to him. That we are to submit our lives to the one before whom we bow. If you are that incredible, if you are that awesome in power and in might and in love and in grace and in mercy, if that is who you truly are, not only do I bow before my, you in, hum, in humility, but you know what else I do? I yield my life to you. You've opened my eyes to see who you are, God, and I recognize in your, in your greatness, I recognize my weakness, I recognize the significance of you are, I recognize my own insignificance truth be told. And from, you know, from this experience, out of this experience, comes the dynamic of me saying, Lord, I am yours. I'll do what you want me to do. Romans 12.1, fabulous verse, says this. Paul speaking, he spent 11 chapters in Roman talking about the salvation of God, that God has worked in Christ. And he says, therefore, pivotal moment. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Now, just stop there for a minute. What he is saying to us, understand that I'm understanding that because your eyes have been opened to see the reality of who God is, this God of incredible mercy, this God of incredible grace, this God of salvation who has come to us in the person of Jesus, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper what? Worship. You offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is what it means to worship God. Now, that little phrase, living sacrifice, is an odd one, right? I hope you all recognize that. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? In Paul's day, Paul was a Pharisee before he was converted to Christ. He was, you know, one of the kind of prime examples of, of, of Jewish people in the hierarchy that existed. He was a superstar. The Jewish people at that time sacrificed animals in the temple in Jerusalem for the forgiveness of sin. They would take little lambs and goats and pigeons or whatever people could afford to bring, and they would put them on the altar, and they would kill them. 
What, what is the end point for the animal which was sacrificed? It was dead. Now, so if the little phrase doesn't confuse you, it ought to. Because what Paul is saying to these Roman Christians is, in view of the incredible God that we have in his mercy, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. You're to offer your whole being as alive but dead. How, how can a sacrifice be alive? Bottom line, simply stated, the way we are living sacrifices is coming to that place where we say, Lord Jesus, because of what you have done for me, because of what I have come to understand and believe, um, as far as I'm concerned, I'm dead. <laughs> I no longer live for myself. It's not about me anymore. It's like, it's like I'm not here. Now I live entirely for you. I live my life for your glory as I magnify and worship you, for your good, for your honor, to accomplish your purposes. I'm living, but I'm dead, that I might live for you. It's no longer about me. Lord Jesus, it's all about you. That's a profound challenge that we're called to. But what Paul says to us is when you can get to that point, you know, when you can offer that to Jesus and actually live it, that is true and proper worship. That is honoring Jesus in an incredible fashion. And it ties in so well to Galatians 2.20. Love this verse as well. Here's what it says. I have been crucified with Christ, and there we go again. <laughs> How can Paul say I have been crucified but sit there with a pen, or as he probably was dictating at the time? I have gone to the cross and I'm dead, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Are you understanding this profound spiritual truth that we're being challenged with? <laughs> I'm alive still, but I'm not living for me. It's as if I'm gone. My life now exists for Jesus. My life exists to accomplish the things that he died for. Jesus died for me, so I will die for him. And my life is no more so that I might live entirely for the glory and the purposes of God. That is, as Romans said, true and proper worship. That's recognizing the greatness of God. As we bow in his presence, we basically say, you know what, God, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. And we live for him. That's why Isaiah, you know, um, uh, Carl preached in this, uh, I believe in January, uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah had that great revelation of God. I saw the Lord. There it was. Have you had the vision of God yet that transforms your worship into something dynamic and alive and life-changing and powerful? I saw the Lord high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. A majestic God. It says the, 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 the power of God shook the temple. He encountered the power of God too. And then he encountered the grace and the mercy of God as the angel flew with, the, with, the, with the, the coal from the fire and touched his lips, and he was forgiven. He was showing grace and mercy. In view of God's mercy, what a merciful, incredible God we have. Incredible God we have. And then God said at the end of that section of, of Isaiah 6, he said, you know, who, who, will, who will I send? Who will go for us? And without a moment's hesitation, I said, Isaiah said, I will go send me. See, this is the experience of worship. We encounter God. We see the power of God, the beauty of God, the magnificence of God. We bow in his presence. We yield his life, our lives to him. And we say, Lord, whatever you want, I'll do. If you want to know if you've ever been in a true experience of worship, look at the outcome. 
Because when human beings get into the presence of God, when human beings' eyes are open to see the reality of God, when human beings truly worship God, in the end of the day, that's what they do. Now, what is your reaction to all of this? For some of you here, it might be quite a shock. It's like, oh, that's why I'm here. Hmm. Some of you here may be seeking God and have not come to, yet to the place of faith, and you haven't come to that commitment of your life to Jesus, and I'm, it's fantastic that you're here, and I'm so glad that you're hearing these things. Keep on the journey. But you know, the end of the journey is what, I've been, what I'm talking about here, where you recognize God's mercy, and you recognize His grace, and you embrace it in your life, and you find forgiveness of sin like Isaiah, and you yield your life to the Lord in humility because of His greatness and His power and His love. And from that point on, you live your life for him, not you. You're dead. Sounds strange, right? But it's not about you anymore. It's about God, because God is God. And we aren't anymore in our own minds. So we bow before him. Second little part of this phrase, we can go back if we could to verse 31, please, of Exodus 4. The second part of this little phrase uh, very simply says they bowed down and they worshiped. You know, for me right now, one of the critical words in that little phrase is the word and. They bowed down and then they did something. The idea that worship is not, bowing is not the sum and the substance of worship. That just puts you in the, the right position and attitude before God, Right? You embrace the humility, you worship the God of greatness, you yield your life to him, and then they worshiped. Now, I'm here today to really prompt you to worship and to engage worship and to experience it in a profound and life-changing way and not be Greg. You see, worship was the posture of... of uh, Bowing down was the posture of worship. It was that place of submission to the greatness of God. But then they did something. And I want to suggest what, what they did, what worship is, is very simply to elevate God in our minds and in our hearts, to raise him up in various ways. There are various activities that these people engage. We're not told what they are, but I know from Scripture, we know from Scripture what some of those things are. Now let me read to you Psalm 34, verse 3. Love this verse. It's from the... Uh, ESV, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I don't know about you, but sometimes God becomes very small in my mind. <laughs> Did he just say that? God becomes small in your mind at times. Think of Greg. You know, the car wash, the in-laws, the work he's got to do, the grocery shopping, the children. Uh, sometimes in my experience, just because of the demands and, yes, the distractions of life, my concept of God shrinks. And it's not what it ought to be. And the psalmist says, let's come together. He doesn't say Sunday morning, but I am. Let's come together on Sunday morning. Let's magnify the Lord. What does it mean to magnify something? If I was to give you a magnifying glass and said, put it in front of your thumb, what would happen to your thumb? It would get bigger. One person out of 200 answered me. And I appreciate it, Jeanette. Thank you. It would get bigger. It would literally look twice the size of what it actually is. The difference with God was we magnify him. He doesn't get bigger. We just see him bigger. We just come to understand the reality of who God is, this magnificent God. 
this powerful God, this God of love and of mercy and of grace who, came, who has come to us because he cares about us in our misery and he has sent Christ into our lives to forgive us for our sins, to make us his children, that we might live with him through this life and into eternity in heaven. It's like, wow, what a God. My friends, we come together on, on Sunday mornings and we're called to magnify him, to, to, to increase his size, to enlarge him in our, our minds, to expand him in our view, if you would. And then it says, and let us exalt his name together. You know what that means? It just means to raise him up. Raise him high up as we bow before him. To recognize his greatness, his, his character, his being, you know, to give him glory, to give him prestige, to give him significance in our minds and our hearts. To get caught up in this activity of basically saying, God, you are an awesome God, and we think you are magnificent. Greg didn't engage that. <laughs> he was too busy with other things. I think Sam did. Sam was beginning to grapple with the idea of the God who was present with him and hear from God and want to respond to that voice and allow the songs that he was singing to make impact in his life. I want to tell you this. Um, we got to figure out how to do that and do that well, like Isaiah. I'm going to describe to you how the Bible describes from Exodus 34, they bowed down and worshiped some of the ways that we try to worship on a Sunday morning, some of the activities that we engage in in order to really live this reality. But before I do that, I want to read you a passage of scripture where the Israelites did it really badly. Quite frankly, they did it badly a bunch of times. It was not uncommon at all for them to really get confused about this whole dynamic of worship and not do it well, so much so that it annoyed God. This is one of those passages where God's not happy. This, I'm going to read this passage to you and go, oh my goodness, I hope you'll say this. I hope that's not me. I hope that's not us. And it's, it's, it's that warning sign. It's that shot before the bow that can wake us up, I hope, to the reality that we will never be what these people had become. So let me read it to you. It's from Malachi chapter 1. We're going to go from verses 6 to 12. God's speaking, a son honors his father. And a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due me? That's essentially the question. Where's the honor flowing from my people? If I am a master, where is the respect due me, says the Lord Almighty? It is you priests. Now he's talking to the priests. Set us, people set aside to lead the worship of God and, and, and the sacrificial process. Let me take a minute to talk about the sacrificial process again. People would literally bring sheep and goats and various animals, and, and they would be sacrificed as worship to God. God had said clearly uh, in the Old Testament, bring me your best animals. Bring me your spotless sheep. Bring me your prize possessions in order to honor me, to show me your heart to prove to me how much you love me and what you think of me. And it says, but you priests, you show contempt for my name. Like, let that blow you away. It's possible in worship to be contemptuous of God, right? But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice... Is that not wrong? 
When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor, your political leader. <laughs> Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you, says the Lord Almighty? Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, he will accept you, says the Lord Almighty. A reminder of God's graciousness still. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hand, hands. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets. This is the God speaking of its truth. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's table is defiled and its food is contemptible. Those are strong, strong words from God to his people some thousands of years ago. They really are. But I want to tell you, my friends, they are packed with information that we have got to grapple with because they show us what not to be. Three quick lessons. The people are not bringing to God their breasts. They're bringing to them their throwaway animals. They're, they're giving a half-hearted attempt at worship um, and not giving to God what God calls them to. Number two, their worship is unacceptable to God unacceptable um, ask the governor if he would accept this if he's not going to accept it why should I I'm God number three if you're going to worship me like this it'd be better that you lock the doors and don't worship at all my friends I want to tell you this is, this is a powerful moment I hope it was for those people but I hope it is for us too that when we come into the presence of God and we worship him as we do now, we got to get it right. We have the opportunity to encounter this God and to honor him and to glorify him and to raise him up and to magnify him and to exalt him, to submit our lives wholeheartedly to him. And to have this experience of the divine in our presence whereby in the end he is pleased and accepts what we bring to him. Now, let me go back to the idea of what these elements of worship are, these things that we do taught to us in various places of Scripture. How do we do it, and how do we do it well? Psalm 96, I want to read to you verses 1 to 4, typical of so many psalms that just prize this idea of praising God. We've done it, and we'll do it again. We've got two songs after the sermon today because we're going to have opportunity. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Keep talking about it. Declare his glory among the nations. Tell the whole world of who this God is, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He deserves our praise. You know, he deserves our praise for who he is and what he has done, for he is to be feared above all gods. My friends, we can come into the presence of God in these songs that Aaron and the, and the various worship teams that we have lead us in, and we can be like Greg, uh, who didn't really notice how good the praise was. I'd say to you, and I want you to note the word, he didn't engage it. He might have sung a little bit here and there when he wasn't diverted from praise by doing other things, but I want to tell you, he did not allow the songs which he sang to become the worship of God. 
new dynamic uh, in the last five years that I've read about in various publications uh, in the church at large, and this is the dynamic, that uh, people come into the worship of God, they come into the presence of the living God who is waiting for their praise, and they don't sing. And you go, why is that? And there are various and good reasons for why people don't sing. I'm not sure about them all, but this, this, this I do know, that when we enter into the presence of God, we had better sing, and we better sing from our hearts. And we better allow the words which are given to us on these screens to inspire us, to engage God by telling him deeply and passionately what we think of him. They will allow us to exalt the Lord, to magnify the Lord, to celebrate his power and his grace and his mercy which he has shown to us in Jesus. Do not sit in his presence and do nothing. And do not sit in his presence and give a half-hearted attempt at praise. It's almost like bringing the lame or the blind or the diseased animal. Is it over yet? Can I sit down? I... No, this is, this is our communication to God of our hearts. My friends, we've got to engage it. You know, I was, I, I was watching Brady today. You know, Brady's on the, on the uh, base. Did you notice him? He's kind of bopping. I can't do that very well. I never have been able to. But you know what I'm saying? He was engaged. He's worshiping. It's not just a song. And I implore you, people of God, when we sing, sing from your heart and let it be this message of love and of praise and of gratitude and of worship into the ears and the mind and the heart of the living God. Yep, Robin likes that. That's no surprise. But that's what it's got to be. Second element in worship. And I'm only choosing three, but I think they're primary and they give us a sense of what this is about. We, we, as part of our worship on Sundays, give to God. How do you give to God? Is it contemptible? Is it more of an offense than anything else? You see, here there's this incredible, maybe the, the closest parallel to this idea of the people giving their animals to God. I mean, they gave the cheap ones. They gave the ones that weren't very expensive, and they held on to the good ones for themselves. Oh, I can get a good dollar for that one. <laughs> or he'll be tasty. You see, we get to come into the presence of God and we get to express our worship of God. We get to tell him what we think of him by the reality of, of, of honoring him with the wealth that he has entrusted us. The Bible says it's not even ours. It's his. And he comes along and he says, give to me generously. You know, we believe in the tithe and the offerings that the Bible speaks of so that my work might be done. Yield your life and yield your purposes to me. Yield your, your very being to me. Live as if you're dead so that my work might be, be done, so that people might come to Christ, so this world might be transformed in the name and the power of Jesus. And we get to honor God by giving to him. Question for you. What does God think you think of him based on the offerings you give to him? Ooh, Chris, that one hurt. What does God think of you based on the offerings that you give to him? I think one of the potentials is that God knows that we believe in him with all of our hearts, that we recognize that our finances are not our own. By the way, we're dead, right? 
What good is money if you're dead? <laughs> that, that God has entrusted us with the things that he has given to us and that he calls us to live in faith and obedience by, by, by giving to him in a generous fashion. Show, show him our love and our trust. And by the way, we're recognizing that he's our God, not our money. That he's our God, not even me. I'm not God, he's God. And that ultimately he's going to take care of me. I don't need to worry about it. He's told me that. My friends, we have the awesome privilege of honoring God with our wealth and telling him what we think of him and exalting him and magnifying him, worshiping him and giving. How about this one? Oh, I like this one. How about the preaching of God's word? You know, do you come here this morning eager to hear from God? Are you hearing from him right now? You know? Do you get up on a Sunday morning and say, man, I want to get into God's presence and I want to hear that sermon which is taking the truth of Scripture and, and offering it to me and I want to know God's will for my life so that I can say yes in faith and obedience and in joy to whatever God calls me to? To sacrifice the self, to be a living sacrifice in order to honor and live for the Lord Jesus. Remember a conversation I had. It's got to be 15 years ago. It's quite a long time ago. I had it with a, with a, with a man who was uh, talking to me about some things I said in my sermon, <clears throat> in the sermon. And um, he had some disagreement with what I had said. And that, I don't have a problem with that. I'm happy to dialogue with people. And maybe I can learn too, right? And uh, so we talked it through, and, and, and I tried to communicate to him the, uh, the intention, the, the the biblical reality, and so forth. And in the end of the day, this is what he said to me, word for word. Well, that's one person's opinion. What do you think of that? Well, essentially, he was saying, well, I have my opinion, and you have your opinion, and we'll just leave it at that. I want to tell you, I was shocked. Because in my mind, I said, is that what you think this is? Chris Little sharing his opinion about life? The opinion of one man as opposed to the word of God? I want you to listen to me in this. It is my job to communicate the truth of this book to you on, on Sundays. That's the primary role I have here. I'm a, in our church, it's called the, te the teaching elder here, or one of them. <laughs> it's my job to take the truth of this book and to communicate it to you in such a way that you hear God speak. That, that still small voice operates. The Spirit of God operates. And it's my job to, to, to faithfully communicate the truth that God might apply it in your lives. It is your job to listen to me and to determine whether I am doing this well. To determine whether in my speaking I am truly communicating the voice, the word of God. And if I don't do that, I say to you here now, don't listen to me. But if I do that faithfully, if I do that well, if I'm taking the truth of the book and giving it to you as I am attempting to do so this morning with love and grace, then don't just call it my opinion because it's not. What it is is the opinion of God. 
See, we believe this book to be divine revelation. Christianity is a revealed religion. We believe that God has spoken. He has inspired authors to write the book, and through what they have written in every detail, the truth of God is revealed to us. And when I communicate to you that revelation, that truth, then it is the word of God. And we don't have the option of just saying, well, it's just your opinion. I don't have to live by it. I want to suggest to you, to you that when we get to that point, when we, when we hear the word of God and we dismiss it, or we hear the word of God and we reject it, <laughs> that is contemptible before the Lord. That's strong language. But that's what the book says, right? You get my point? <laughs> we don't have the freedom to do that if we want to be true worshipers of God. But my friends, when we will take this word spoken and we will hear it and we will believe it and we will obey it, we will be honoring him. We will be exalting him. We will be recognizing his greatness and his wisdom and his love and his truth. We will be worshiping him. Part of my question for you this morning is, how are you going to hear God today and what are you going to do about it? Right? For as we take this word and as we apply it to our lives, I want to tell you, my friends, we are giving God place in our lives as God. And when it's dismissed or rejected, guess who's God? You are, and so am I. And God finds that unacceptable. See, in the end of the day, what we are called to in this example that uh, these Israelites of so, so long ago give to us, that gave to us, they bow down and they worship God. They recognized God as God. They exalted him. They honored him. They recognized who he was in their lives as they worshiped him. And we, my friends have to give an acceptable worship of God. Let me read as we wind down Hebrews 12, verse 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving, we're in the process of receiving a, a kingdom, oh, a kingdom of God come among us that cannot be shaken. Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. I love that. Why? For our God is a consuming fire. God is a God of love and of grace. God is a God who is merciful. God is a God who has done so much for us, but we can't play with God because he's a consuming fire. I am calling IPC when we gather in his presence to worship him for the, from the depth of our hearts, to engage worship, not to be distracted and allow other things to become more important, to meet here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, to have our eyes open so that God might be magnified, we might bow in his presence and worship him as God. And when you sing, I want you to sing from the bottom of your heart. And if you are in the practice of not singing, it's time to think again. And if you're in the practice of singing and just kind of mouthing the words so we can get beyond it to the good stuff, if that's what you think this is, stop it. <laughs> stop it. <laughs> and when you give, give in a way that honors your God in obedience and in faith, and when you hear God speak through his word, open your hearts and your mind to him and say, yes, Lord, I will live in faith and obedience before you because you are God and I am not. We're going to worship the Lord now in song. We are going to praise him, not just once, but twice.
We're going to sing a song that speaks of the salvation that God has brought us in Christ, and we're going to sing hallelujah, praise God. Will you mean it? From the depth of your being, we're going to sing a song that talks about the name of Jesus, how it's beautiful and powerful and so forth. Allow these songs to be the mechanism whereby you exalt the Lord, and you tell him what you think of him. Let's sing together now. with us in worship.
that you saved us, that you sent your only son to die for us. We just lift your name, God, because we are so grateful for you. And we love you so much. Greater, your love was greater. What 
Let's pray together. Lord God, we stand in your presence and we honor you. And we give you glory, for you are God. We recognize, Lord, that you have come to us as the Israelites did so long ago. You have come to us, not just to save us from Pharaoh, but from the power of sin and evil and even death. And we recognize that you have come to us in Christ, your son, and that his name is beautiful and it is wonderful and it is powerful that he is greater than all other powers in this world, that you have exalted him to sit at your right hand. And with your son and with your spirit, our God, we worship you as God. Today we bow before you. We humble ourselves in your presence and we announce your greatness to the world. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love and for your grace and your mercy that we have encountered through Christ. Thank you, God, that you have come to each of us. You have come to this place and that you have allowed us even to be in your presence. Thank you, our God, that you know us all, that you have concern for us, and that your love for us is real. God, what a God you are. What an incredible God you are. And today, with one voice, we worship you. We worship you, God. Allow us now to go from this place, having met with you, to live our lives for you. We yield ourselves to you. We live as if we are, are not. We live for the sake of Christ and the coming of the kingdom of God. Use us, Lord. Reveal to us what you want us to do, and then just let us do it. For our lives are yours. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the presence of your spirit. Thank you for this opportunity to worship the living God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.